to begin with, this is what I want you to understand, fathers and men, that you were created, you were called and ordained to overcome. You were called and ordained to conquer, and you were called and ordained to lead. It's in you as a father, and it's in you as a husband. You are called to overcome. You're called to conquer. And I'll explain that throughout the message. You're called to lead. You are not called to take a back seat. You are not called to be absentee. You are not called to stay home. You are not called just to be the provider. You are called to overcome, to conquer, and to lead. And that's important in our life and to understand as far as who we are. It's not something that I'm trying to do. It's not something that I'm trying to attain. It's actually in me as a, as a, as a man of God, as a father, he has actually put it in my DNA. And it goes all the way back to the garden where he told Adam and Eve to subdue the earth. And God's put that authority in us. And we are in the position we're in in this world because it's been misused. We're in the position we're in as the church because it's been misused or not used at all. So I want to start with 2 Samuel 23. It's, it's, it's becoming one of my favorite chapters of the word. And, and we're going to pick up in verse 8. And these are David's. Everybody knows David, right? Um, these are David's mighty men. And it says in verse 8, it says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Now, forgive me because I'm going to botch some of the names. Uh, Joseph, uh, or Joshua, Joseph, Bashebeth, Bashebeth, uh, the, the Tachmanite, uh, it says, chief among the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite. Man, their names, it's just like, ooh. Uh, because he had killed, now listen, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Now, I'm not advocating going and killing a bunch of people, right? But I'm thinking in the, in the eyes of a warrior, right? This guy's like, he's legit. He killed 800 men at one time. And then it goes on and it says, and after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, my dad's name is Dodo. You know? <laughs> I'm sure back then it didn't have the connotation that it has today. Uh, but, uh, you know, I feel bad for whoever named it. But anyway, says, uh, I'm going to skip that. One of the three mighty men with David, it says, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. So he held on to that sword and fought so long to where his grip was on that sword and it had to be peeled off, right? And he defended the people, amen? It says, um, it says the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the, uh, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about, brought about a great victory. 
It says, then the three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, um, or Adullam, however you want to say it, and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And I'm going to kind of skip through this, but basically David was there and he said, oh, um, he said, if I could just have a, a drink of water um, from a certain place, and the men, three men, broke through the whole Philistine army, went and got the water, brought it back to David. He didn't ask him to do that. He was just longing for it. And then the Bible says that he poured it out, and he says, oh, Lord, why should I do this or drink it? Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Um, so that's the part I'm skipping. Verse 18, it says, and Abish, uh, Abishai, Abishai, uh, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of another three. He lifted the spear against, listen, 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three we just read about. And then it says, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did and won a name, a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. A lot of mouthful there. Um, but I'm reading about these men, and I'm looking at them like, these are legit. These are, you know, like, like these men make Rambo look like child's play. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they make the, the movies that we see and, and the things that we look at and say, wow, that's amazing. That's great. You know, uh, I watched Top Gun and, and uh, loved the movie, thought it was great. But these guys make the people that we see today look like nothing. I mean, here, uh, I wanted to bring out Benaiah. He goes out. And he, the Bible says that he runs down into a pit and kills a lion on a snowy day. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I haven't chased any lions in my day. Not literally. I've not gone down into a pit and killed a lion. But yet, Benaiah, there's something about him that made him a mighty man of God and he's one of David's mighty men. And these mighty men were those that were discontented. They were in debt. They weren't the people that you would put on a pedestal. These were people that you would look at and think they're just a bunch of, of men that are no good. They're in debt and, 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 and they're discontented and, and we would just write them off. But yet God is using them to do mighty things. What does that tell me? That tells me that we're in a good place together in understanding that God specializes in taking those that are zero and turns them into a hero. He specializes in taking those that, uh, that, that are just ordinary people and he causes their lives to be extraordinary. So this is not about what you look like on the outside, right? It's not about that. 
This is about who you are on the inside, who God's created you to be, what he's put in you. And you have, we have another example in the word of God over in Judges 6, and it's the story of Gideon. In Gideon, we find him, he's in the wine press, which is a hole in the ground, threshing out, or not threshing, or trying to thresh out the wheat. He's in the wine press, and, and when they thresh wheat, you threw it up, and the wind would blow the chaff, and the seeds would fall to the ground. The wheat would fall down. Well, you can't do that in a wine press. And so Gideon, he's afraid of what's going on around him because their city had been uh, taken hostage to some degree. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon while he's in the wine press, while he's hiding, threshing the wheat. And the, the angel greets Gideon and calls him a man of valor. And Gideon's like, I don't know, man, you've got the wrong person here. You don't understand. He, he says, you don't understand who I am. You, you, you're calling on the wrong person here to, to uh, say that I'm a man of valor or to say that I'm going to get anything done for the Lord. And I'm just paraphrasing it. You can go read it for yourself. But Gideon is in this place and he begins to argue with the angel and say, yeah, but you don't understand. My, my, my clan is the least in all of Israel. Not only is my clan the least, but my family is the least. And not only is my family the least, but I'm the least in my family. Sounds just like God. To take the least of the least of the least in the eyes of men and call on them to do something great. Calls on them to overcome, calls on them to conquer, calls on them to lead. And if you read the story of Gideon, you're going to find him overcoming, conquering, and you're going to find him leading. All for the purpose of the kingdom. It's for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And so in our life, I want you to understand that it's not about being the greatest. It's actually, if you find yourself at the least of the least of the least, you actually find yourself as being one of the most qualified for God to use you. Why? Because you can't trust in anything but God. Because you ain't got money to trust in. You don't have fame to trust in. Right? You don't have some level of success to trust in. You don't have anything in this world to trust in to be able to do something for God. That's the problem many times is that we're looking at who we are in the natural to determine what God will do or what we'll do for God instead of understanding that that is irrelevant when it comes to what God's called you to do and who he's called you to be. I don't mean that God won't use it, but it's not the determining factor. God's looking for people that'll just say, God, I don't have anything but you. Please use me. Because I want you to do something through my life to have an impact. I want my life to matter. I want it to have an impact on the things around me. And I believe that there's plenty of men, especially in this day and age, I believe that there's plenty of men, there's men here today that you feel unqualified. That you feel less than. That you feel in some way their shortcomings 
And you would say that if people only knew, then they wouldn't want to follow me. They wouldn't want to walk with me. They, they wouldn't, who am I to conquer? I can't even do this over here. Who am I to conquer or do something great in the kingdom of God? But I want you to be reminded that you are called and ordained to overcome and to conquer. John says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes this world. So if you're a born again child of God, you're already an overcomer. You're already, and you, you, you were born into victory as a child of God. You were born into success as a child of God. The thing is, is we have to correctly define what success is. Because so many times our definition of success is what we picture in the world. And then when we measure our lives against that measuring stick, many times we fall short. Or we find ourselves and say, well, I'm doing okay. Well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Or maybe we find ourselves in a place where I'm doing great. And we use our measure of success in the world's eyes as a determinant of our spiritual success and our spiritual health. So when I talk about conquering, it's vital as a father that you conquer the proper things. You need to know what you're supposed to conquer. And it's going to make more sense here in just a minute. As I said in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, it says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Right? That's who we are, our faith in Christ, our faith in who we are as believers. Uh, but I'm a child of God, and the Bible says that I've overcome this world. Now listen, you and I, we're called to overcome, and we're called to conquer, but we're called to conquer the enemy in every assignment that stands in the way of our success. So, just stay with me here, okay? I'm believing it's going to come out right, <laughs> right? I've watched over time, I've watched men conquer the wrong things. I've watched men try to conquer their wives to rule and lord over them. I've watched men try to conquer their children to rule them and just get them to do what they said. I've watched men try to conquer this world disguised as success in the world's eyes. I've watched men try to conquer the church and to rule and lord over the people of God. The problem is we're not to conquer according to the world's standards. So listen to this. The church doesn't need to be conquered. It needs to be led. We have too many men that want a title. They want a position. They want authority to tell other people what to do instead of men that will step up and say, follow me. When you don't have anybody that is following you and you don't step in a role of leadership, then the only thing you're left with is try to control and to conquer. The wife doesn't need to be conquered. She needs to be loved. It's not about you telling your wife who she can be and can't be. It's not about you just being the head and being the boss of your home. That's not, that's not what God's called you to do. That's not who he's called you to be. And I will explain that some more. Children don't need to be conquered. They need to be trained. 
We have too much telling our kids what they should do and shouldn't do instead of leading them into who they are and training them up in the way they should go. Training is watch me do it, watch me live it, and do it with me. Training is not you go do it while I sit at home or I do something else. That's not training. And you're going to find yourself in, in, in a difficult position later on in life. And the spirit of the world needs to be conquered, not the world system. What do you mean by that? Just because a person is successful in the sense that they have money doesn't mean that they've actually walked in who they are in Christ. What it means is, is they've learned to conquer the system. Listen, George Soros has plenty of money, but he's not a believer. You don't have to be a believer to make money. So don't attribute the money you make or the money you put in the bank, don't attribute that solely to being a child of God or to God's blessing. I'm not saying it's not. It can be, right? But don't use that as your litmus test. Right? In our life, what I'm supposed to conquer and overcome is the way the world does things. I'm supposed to conquer the spirit that's in the world. I'm supposed to overcome that antichrist spirit to where it doesn't come against my life and cause me to not be the person God's called me to be. I'm supposed to conquer that spirit that wants to invade my home, that wants to invade my marriage, that wants to invade my kids, that spirit that wants to invade the church. I'm supposed to stand guard and overcome and conquer that. When we're busy conquering the wrong thing, it opens the door to the enemy to wreak havoc in the areas we should be leading and not conquering. So let me give you an example. Everybody, everybody knows what a castle is, right? You've heard the term that, that I'm the king of my castle, right? You've heard the castle doctrine um, or the, that I have the right to defend my castle, right? But here's the problem. If I'm not careful, when I'm trying to control and conquer my wife, she's in the castle with me. If I'm trying to just conquer my children, as far as a sheer will, you're going to do what I say. I'm not saying they shouldn't, kids. I'm just saying that if that's my attitude towards them, and I'm trying to do that, right? Or if I'm always gone from my castle, pursuing success in the world's eyes, and I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard, you need to, so don't, don't try to read in, but if I'm always gone and I'm never home, and my pursuit is always outside the castle and not within the castle, then I'll never be present to be able to defend my castle. So while I'm trying to control my wife, and I'm trying to control my kids, or if I'm trying to go out and do something and control the world, then what happens is, is I leave my castle to where it's not being defended. There's not a person on the, the, the face of the earth that loves the people within the castle that's going to allow the castle to fall without a fight. The problem is, is many times we're fighting the wrong thing. So while the husband and the wife are fighting over control, over the leadership of the home. You see what I'm saying? 
then the enemy sneaks in and continues to wreak havoc. And that doesn't mean that our wife can't fight. I'll I'll explain that, but I want you to understand that that we have this place that God has given us a realm of authority, and I need to make sure that my castle is healthy. It doesn't mean I can't go out. I just need to keep my eyes and make sure that this is my priority. That I'm defending what God's given me in my life. I'm called to conquer. I'm called to overcome. Amen. But I have to understand and know what I'm supposed to be conquering. I need to understand that I'm called to conquer the assignment of the enemy. And I'm called to lead in God's kingdom. So I'm supposed to stand and defend my family. So when the enemy comes to try and steal in my marriage, then I stand and I fight. And I say, no devil, you can't have my marriage. When the enemy comes and tries to steal the future of my kids, I say, no, you can't have that. You can't have my children. So I stand and fight. Why? Because I have victory. I've been given the authority. I have overcome. But here's the problem. If you sit back and think that you don't have to exercise that authority, then you're going to get run over by the enemy. And I'll give you a great example in our world today. How many of you know that every person who commits a crime, technically, by law, has been defeated? In other words, they've not been given authority, and they've not been given permission to be able to commit that crime. Do you agree? Say yes, or no, or dear me, whatever. Right? But how many of you know if an enemy breaks, he's still going to try and break into your house? They still steal. What they do is they perpetrate where there's no exercise of authority. And sometimes you got to wrestle with that to get them to come into compliance. Now don't read into that, please. So I'm not streaming today. Don't read into that. I'm not for overdoing stuff, okay? But my point is, is that as Christians, so many times we find ourselves in a place where we want to sit back in our lounger and watch the big screen and think that God's got everything taken care of and I have no responsibility. But I tell you what, when the enemy comes to try and rob and steal and destroy, when he comes against my life, comes against me, my wife, my children, my children's children, when he comes to try and do that, you think I'm going to just sit there with my feet propped up and watch the TV and say, oh God, I I thank you that that you, you got this, whatever you want to be will be. No, I already know what God's word says. And so I'm going to stand in faith and I'm going to tell the enemy to get out. So many times we're too busy wrestling and fighting against the wrong things. Matthew 20, 25 through 28, it's the excerpt where Jesus is talking about the talking to the disciples. And he says, as he called them uh, to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men hold them in subjection, tyrannizing over them. Not so shall it be among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you 
must be your servant. You say, well, God, we're not supposed to be great. Jesus said it's fine to be great. He just said there was a right way to do it. We, we as fathers have been positioned and equipped to overcome, to conquer, and to lead. It's in you. And, and what happens is, is that when you don't lead, right, it opens up the door to either control or it opens up the door to emasculation. Those are the two things that happen. Because a man who doesn't lead is a man who gets frustrated because nobody will listen to him. And then he feels like in order to get them to listen, he has to control them. And then it's, you better do what I say, and you better do it now. And it's to the wife and to the kids. It's on the job. I said, I, I've been in the workforce. I know what it's like. I can tell you a leader versus a controlling manager. It's not our job to try to control. It's our job to lead. You lead by being an example. The problem is, is the enemy has got fathers so beat up over who they are that they feel so unqualified to step up and lead. I mean, the other alternative is, is you're too lazy to lead. Well, I just got so much going on. So? I mean, what do you, what do you want me to say? I, I don't have an excuse. When I stand before Jesus, I believe I'm going to stand as a husband, I'm going to stand as a father, and then I'm going to stand as a pastor. And I'm going to have to give an account for me and what I did with that. And me just saying I was too busy is not, I, I, I just, I mean, you, may, you can call me wrong at some point if it doesn't happen this way, Right? But I ain't rolling the dice to believe that Jesus is okay with me saying I'm too busy to lead my family or to lead my wife or to lead in the house of God. Why? Because that's what the scripture says. And if God says for me to do it in his word, then Philippians 4.13 becomes a greater reality of I can do all things in Christ. I just have to figure out how do I go about doing it? What's the proper way to do it? So what happens is, is I begin to, if I'm not leading, I begin to domineer or to lord over. It happens in the church all the time. You got people in the church that because of their success, feel like they have a greater voice, right? Because of who they are in the community, they have a greater voice. When really, the greater we are, the greater we want to be in the kingdom, the more willing we ought to be to just serve and not use those things to control and manipulate. Now, I will say this, just as a qualifier, there is not one in this house that does that. Amen? Because I won't allow it. I, 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 if there's one thing I'll push against faster than anything else is a person who tries to use their natural wealth or things to try and uh, lord over or try to control. It's not going to happen. Amen? Keep your money. That's fine. We don't need it. Um, God is our source, not you. Amen? So, um, when we're no longer engaged in the conquering, listen, one of the other things that happens um, is you begin to look for pleasure. 
When you stop conquering, you start looking for pleasure. Scriptural, let's go look at David, King David. He's slayed his thousands, his ten thousands. He's conquering. He's killing it. He's doing these things. He's great. He becomes king. And then he decides not to go out to battle with his men. And he's standing at home, bored. I guarantee it. And he looks over and he sees Bathsheba. And he says, I, I, this isn't enough. I got to have this, this person's wife too. Now, I love David. I, I'm not drag, trying to drag him, but it's the truth. And we begin to look outside and begin to look for pleasure in life. I'm not saying you shouldn't have any pleasure. Please don't hear that. I'm just saying that that's not the priority of my life. There's a difference between um, uh, resting, which we all need, and God has given this amazing world just in Costa Rica and just looking at the views and some of the amazing places. I'm so thankful for that. I love that. I love to see God's beauty. But I, I have a job to do, and even though I have to take, supposed to take breaks and have some time, but I'm consumed with what I'm called to do. And I don't want to get bored with that because I don't want to, to walk away. I don't want to look for pleasure. And then the other action that happens is we become emasculated. And what that means is it means to deprive of strength, of vigor, and or spirit. That's what emasculate means. To deprive of vigor, strength, or spirit. And, and, and so... Um, I want to take a minute here. Uh, I want to have uh, Julie come up here. She's going to help me. And, and I'm going to kind of close with this. I can't stress enough the power that a, that a spouse has in, in the realm of her husband succeeding or failing through her words. And through what, what she does and how she treats him, right? And I told you earlier, I don't control, I don't try to control my wife. I, I, I don't do that, right? It's not I'm the boss and you're less than me and you're going to do what I want you to do. That's not how our household runs. But I will tell you, I'm the head of my home. And I'm the head of my home because I take the spiritual responsibility of being the head of my home. Not because I pay the bills or because I do this or I do that. It's because I am, according to Ephesians, I am the head of the wife as Jesus is the head of the church. Now listen, and everything flows from the head. That's not a bad thing. But when we live and we walk, we walk together. Everywhere we go, we walk together. We operate together. We respect but she respects and honors me. And if there's a decision that is not able to be made between the two of us, she will defer to me and say, I trust you because I'm the head. I'm the leader of my home. And it's not because I'm all that. It's not because I'm perfect. It's just because I'm the head of my home. And when we walk, she doesn't walk behind me. We don't live that kind of life. 
where she has to walk behind me and be just subject to me. That's not how we live. Amen. She walks beside me. We walk together. But I'll tell you this, I don't necessarily walk behind her. Why? Because she's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. We are one together in Christ. And our agreement is what allows us to overcome in life. And most of the things we do from that arena, we do together and overcome together. But there have been times and there will be times to where I step out in front spiritually and I push back against the enemy as the head of my home. And it's not because she's too weak or she's, it's not because of any of those things. It's because I have an authority there. I've been placed as the head of my home and given authority because I have responsibility. It's not a place for me to lord over and I don't ever tell her, well, you just need to do what I say. Do I tell you that? This fight, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's not. No, never been. But, but do you understand that? that? That's important. Now, here's the other equation. This is what happens sometimes and what causes men to be frustrated or to become emasculated. And that is, is the wife is saying, why don't you leave? Why don't you lead? Why don't you do that? I'm looking for my husband to lead. I don't know how many conversations she has with wives. My husband won't do this or my husband doesn't do that or, you know, whatever the case. But the moment they step out, she says, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? You can't do that. <laughs> Let me do it. Y'all look like deer in headlights. I don't know if it's because you don't want to say nothing. I see all the men, none of them want to agree. They're all just like dead steel, like deer in headlights. Like, I ain't saying nothing. I ain't moving a muscle. You just, just keep at it, Pastor Rob. But, you know. But I, I've, I've, I've watched it in people's lives to where the husband, you know, why don't you help clean the house? Well, when you go to, listen, we've done it. You go to clean the house and they come back behind you and say, it's not good enough. Like, it's treated as though you are not capable. When really, it's not about capability, it's about preference. And we need to understand the difference. And so in our life, when we walk together, we have to both be careful of that. We're not perfect. And we've had our times in life. There's been times where I've had, I've had to sit her down and say, baby... I'm the pastor. Is that right? And say, I'm the pastor. I appreciate you helping and your input, but this decision is mine because I'm responsible. She's not. I am. We, we don't stand before the Lord. I stand before the Lord. You see what I'm saying? Now, I don't lord that over her. And I ask her all the time, what do you think? What's your input? What, what do you have to say? Because I value that. Because she picks up on things many times way further ahead than I do. And she'll point things out about people, about situations. That situation isn't right. That person's, and, and because she's intuitive, she's built that way. And that's how we work together as a team. And, and we're able to flow together. Y'all getting that today? 
This is important because as a man, if I'm always told I'm not good enough, what I'm doing is wrong, and I'm not capable, I will lose my vigor, I will lose my strength, and I will stop caring. And then what do you think the enemy's going to do? He's going to send that other woman that just thinks you're all that in a slice of bread, right? And, and it's going to send that person to say, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so great. And I go home and I'm told, you can't do that right. You didn't do that right. Come on now. We live in a time, and, and I do believe, happy wife, happy life. But listen, men, and listen, spouses. It's never okay for that to be flipped around to where it's always whatever the spouse wants. That's not appropriate. I do whatever I can and, and, and I strive to please her. I'm not saying that shouldn't happen. But all of this talk of men keeping their mouth shut and just doing whatever the wife wants to do, that's backwards. I thought I'd get a little quiet. But listen, if I love her, and I lay my, down, my life down for her, then there's many and majority of times I'm going to defer to her to make her happy. Does that make sense? Do you understand the difference? And so what I've watched over time is I've watched, I've watched spouses and the wife try to take authority. I'm not talking about where the, 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 the dad is just nowhere to be found but they try to take authority and they try to rule the home. And what I've seen happen over time is it actually causes the spouse mentally to actually go off kilter. And I, and I could sit here and give you plenty of examples over the years of that happening. And it's because you open yourself up to things. And we don't necessarily like to talk about order. We don't like to talk about order in the church. We don't like to talk about order in the home. We don't like to, because we've seen it from a domineering, overbearing, controlling aspect, and that's not God either. We are called together as a husband and wife to walk together as one. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, what if my husband makes a decision and it's not the right decision? Then you pray for God to turn that decision around. I'm not talking about sin. The husband has no right to ask you to, to, to get into sin. The answer is no. And the husband has no right to tell you you can't go to church. The answer is no, I'm going. I'm, I'm kind of meddling here, but I want you to understand this. Because you say, what does that have to do with being a father? It has everything because the kids are watching. And they reproduce who you are, not just what you tell them. And so in our life, let's make sure that we're overcoming, we're leading, we're conquering because it's what I'm called to do, but I'm doing it in a godly and a healthy and a right way in my life. And I'm doing it as the man. The Bible says that my responsibility is to love my wife, to cherish her. If, you know, some of us would give more, more attention to the car we bought because it's more expensive than we do our own wife. It's like having a plant at home and it's the most expensive plant that you could buy 
and you just leave it out in the sunlight too long or you don't water it. No, if you want it to thrive, what do you do? You tend to it. You water it. You, you, you speak to it nicely. Amen. You laugh. Uh, Emily had to do an experiment one time for science fair, and the experiment was how would plants respond to praise, to nothing, or to um, being put down? And she'd have to go in the bathroom and yell at her plant because she was so embarrassed to do it in front of us. And she's in there and she's saying, you stupid plant. You're stupid. You'll never amount. I mean, she's having to do this as part of the science experiment. But you know what happened? Which one do you think grew the less, the least? The one that she talked down to. Our words carry life and carry power. My wife is going to respond to my love, right? She's going to respond to that. And that takes time. It doesn't just happen, right? But she's also, we both are going to eat or live the fruit of our words. If you don't like the person that your husband is or who your father is, then change the words that you speak over them. Begin to speak differently. Quit telling them they're incapable. Quit telling them they're doing it wrong. If you want their help, let them help and let them do it. And then thank them for it. Right? Because we want them to be solid. We want them to grow. We, we need our men to be the, the men of God they're called to be. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a hand. Y'all going to stop letting me go anywhere because when I come back, I just lay it on you. Um, <laughs> do what? <laughs> Listen, I'm not here. Men, I want you to know what I'm talking about is in you. It's not something you're trying to be that you're not. It's actually who you are. It's who you are in Christ, who you are as a child of God, as a son of God. It's who you are. And sometimes we've been told all our life how we're not that. And I'm here to tell you um, today as your pastor that you are called to conquer. You are called to overcome. You are called to succeed. And again, there's nothing wrong with being blessed and having money and resources. I thank God for that in my life and others' life. That, that's scriptural. That's just not my priority. I want to be the man of God that God's called me to be. And I tell you what, I'm tired of watching the devil beat up on our men and make them feel less than and make them feel like they're worthless or make them feel like they're unqualified or incapable or distract them. I'm tired of seeing marriages broken over things. I'm tired of seeing men step out of ministry. I'm tired of, of seeing those things happen. I'm not a perfect man. I've made plenty of mistakes. I still make mistakes. But I have a wife that loves me and supports me. I have kids that honor me and, 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 and support. And I, I thank God I have other men around my life that do that as well. Men, if you live your life isolated, then you're going to have a hard time succeeding. You're going to have to get around to be around men. And it's time to take off the facade, right? I know how that is. We walk around, you know what I'm saying? Like everything's good. You know, how are you? I'm good. And everything could be falling apart. I'm good. Everything's fine. Right? You don't get two words out of it. How are you doing? I'm good. 
What's going on? Nah, nothing. Just working. You know what I'm saying? No interaction. So as we move forward, we're going to see more and more of intentionality on our part to help adjust that. And it's because we're not here to control, but we're here to love and lead. Amen.